guys. Hey guys. Welcome back to the Selfie Show. It's Tori and Sam. Two besties bringing you all things healthcare, humor, and listen. Unpopular opinion is spicy today, mm, it and is. we're excited to bring it to you. Absolutely, because we love that. And this much requested topic today, we brought on an expert because we knew you guys wanted all things finance 101. We're all, we're getting our shit together this year. It's 2023. We are empowering ourselves. And so we brought on Money with Katie. You guys, this episode is mind blowing. You're going to want to take notes for this one. And I like that we're doing it in like, this is our last episode of January, but we're kicking still the new year off with this because it's early. Like get your shit together this year. That Mm -hmm. is my goal. Like get my shit together. Like I started using her budget tracker Mm -hmm. and stuff. And I'm like, all right, Samantha, Mm -hmm. you're going to be not a trash can in 2023. Trust me, guys, (laughs) you're going to want to take so many notes on this one. I've had to listen back because she dropped so much information. This is a good one. I think for you, even your sister, your niece, someone in your life, uh, who you think could really, who might, may be starting a job and really needs a lot of these tips when you're starting a job because a lot of things we talk about are things that we kind of wish we had been better about when we were younger. This is for everyone. This Absolutely. has nothing to do with working in healthcare. This is <laughs> this like is just... learn how to manage your finances, people. Yeah. That's like the key to happiness. Like the number one reason for divorce is finances. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. It's stressful. <laughs> so get ready for a very good one. Okay. This unpopular opinion this week was brought to you by one of you guys. We and don't it's know pretty, who you are, it's, it was, it, these are like anonymous. This but. is pretty darn unpopular. All right, let's get into it. All right, unpopular opinion single friends should still get a plus one at weddings. Ooh. Do you, do, oh. you want me to pop up? Or you want to go? I want to hear. Yeah, let's go, Queen. As a single, as the single friend, I am the single friend. Yes. And I get invited to weddings w- without a plus one. I don't feel entitled to a plus one. because I am single (laughs) so if I'm bringing someone I'm either one asking just like someone I'm kind of dating which honestly as a single person perspective once you cross over and bring like someone you're dating or maybe sleeping with whatever some sort of person that you're having relations with in any way you're that's kind of the next level of it so it also puts you in this weird position of am I leveling up with this person now I'm introducing them to people in my world I'm bringing to this wedding people are going to be like who's your date this is so and so like so there's that aspect where it's like okay are you ready to take that but the second one since we're talking money this episode (laughs) I think that that's fucking expensive yeah Weddings cost so much money. This isn't a housewarming party where you don't really know someone. So you're like, hey, do you mind if I bring a friend? Because I don't really know your coworkers and I don't know your family that well. And I don't really like I don't want to just be alone. Yeah. yeah. Bring a friend. Like yeah. if Tori was having a party at her house and I was like, hey, can I bring someone? Sure. But a wedding, 100%. especially ones where it's like one hundred and twenty five dollars per person. And I. Some people have insanely big families, you guys. When I was planning a wedding, I've not been married, but I've planned one. And I was four (laughs) months away from it happening. I lost a lot of deposits. I will tell you that making the guest list was like a battleground with Mm -hmm. my ex and I. We sat there and just getting through, okay, once I invite all the obligatory family, like how many people financially can we still afford to invite after family? And then now we're having to like, almost rank mm-hmm. how important people are. Do they make the cut of the friendship cut of like inviting people to your wedding? 
And that's difficult. And I had, I have a bunch of cousins that are younger than me. And for me, I'm like, unless you like live together or you were engaged or that's been your long term, you've been in a relationship with that person for years and they come to all our family holiday stuff. Okay, then you right. can bring them as your plus one. But if it's like my 20 year old cousin that's been dating someone for three months and they're oh, like, yeah. Sam, can they go? Absolutely not. I don't know them. You'll probably be broken up with them by the time. Who knows? Even by the time the wedding rolls around right. and that's so yeah. much money. And that could have went to a coworker that I really love that I didn't have space for because of budget constraints. Weddings aren't a casual pizza party. They're really freaking expensive. And some people are trying to, to have yeah. a really nice day on a budget. 100%. I, as someone who has hosted a wedding, I 100% disagree with this. The first thing that I want to say, and I think this is like the number one thing is that weddings are a sacred time especially for the couple right it's like this is the most personal intimate moment in your life and so for me when I was hosting it I only I only wanted the people who I knew were invested in our relationship in this moment being there with us really taking this moment it's not just a party right like to me the party is like that's just kind of the the icing on the cake but the whole point of this is to really celebrate the couple and be there with them and personal and I also think that weddings and all these events have gotten so over the top mm -hmm. as it is like don't get me wrong I actually really love my weddings now and I love going to them but I think they are somewhat over the top and so I don't think that you just being the single friend does entitle you to a, another seat. Like, as you said, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on us societally nowadays with weddings and all these events. I call it the Pinterest era. Yes. Of your weddings. So like, I feel like weddings these days have turned into, I'm, it's a show for everyone else instead of actually truly we're celebrating Tori and Jacob getting married. Yeah. I'm not saying that you did this for yours, but I'm saying for people feel the pressure of, oh my God, I have to have the photo booth and I have to do yes. this extra and this entrance and this, like I have to keep up because so these are the trends the and I need a big neon sign now and I need the chandelier over my dancer. I need this picture perfect. Like everything yeah. has become a, it's show. Like a show. And it's a, that's fine too. Like, I'm not going to lie. When I was engaged, I had a Pinterest perfect wedding. It was going to be in Malibu, the mm -hmm. Malibu wine safaris with a fucking giraffe <laughs> at cocktail hour. My wedding was going to be like, honestly, a little fucking ridiculously over the top. And now I'm like, you're so dumb. Samantha. It's so funny. Cause like when thinking back to our guest list, honestly, we were very cutthroat. We were, we were pretty cutthroat. We did not give a lot of plus ones to yeah. around anybody. Like, you know, and of course, strategically you place people in groups where, you know, they know someone. And honestly, if you're someone who's single, that doesn't feel comfortable going to this wedding because you don't know anybody then maybe you don't know them well enough mm. unpopular opinion no, no, like no, maybe you shouldn't go just yeah. don't go and honestly then you're saving them some money right yeah. like to, I'm, I'm being very very honest like it's just if you don't know the enough people going to that wedding then maybe you're really not in that circle enough and know enough people then just don't go yeah like I mean I I don't think anyone entitles you to anything that to me that's not it's not the point well same I'll unpopular opinion about people being like well if kids aren't invited then I'm not going then don't go don't go I don't, don't think go. they're gonna like miss we out we didn't have kids yeah. we had one baby there and that's just because my bridesmaid she literally had the baby like four months prior like and she was still breastfeeding yeah. and I'm like okay that's fine but the baby but, was like out, like out of sight out of mind yeah like it wasn't like I wanted yeah. every adult there to have an adult fun party and I'm popular opinion i like i love weddings with no kids and on the flip side i'm not talking shit like 
it's okay to say no. Yeah. Like I'm not sitting there like you're, you're not the problem. If you say no, like you don't have to go either. So if that doesn't work for you, you don't have a sitter, you don't have the resources, then don't go. Same thing with like destination wedding. If it's too expensive for you to go to someone's destination wedding, don't don't go. go. Like no one's forcing you to be the guest, but on the flip side, as the guest, like they're already spending a lot of money to feed you, to give you drinks, open bar. Like, Mm -hmm. honestly, I would be like, that's cutting into my open bar budget by letting everyone have a plus one. I want my people there to have an open bar. Yeah. So I just think that overall, this one was one we definitely, uh, we, we disagree with this one. It's your wedding. You should be able to do whatever the fuck you want. People get so in the bridezilla. Like if people want a dress code, it's like, don't, if you don't like it, don't go. It's their day. You don't have to go just as much as they don't have to do like it, it works. I'm honestly like living on both sides of the fence here. Yeah. It's if you don't want to go, that's totally within your right. But they also don't have to like make any accommodations for anyone because it is their day. It's their day. And when it guess what? When it's your day, you can make that decision. So and then you if can I give ever it get it, married, right? I will. Ne- I'm doing like a destination so far away that it's going to make it so absurdly <laughs> difficult for people to even get to. I love this that for you. Most people won't even want to go. Yeah. So I'll invite everyone, and then like the five people that actually care about me will actually go, and I it'll be perfect. For you. Yeah. Here but we also, go. I'm probably never getting married because I hate people. <laughs> So there's that. Uh, well, on that note, let's get into it with the guest of our this week. Oh, today we have money expert Katie Gaddy Tassin. Did I do that right, Katie? I love, love you. you. Katie. So she's the founder of Money with Katie, and she goes full range, deep dive into everything about money topics that millennial Gen Z we. If you got a side hustle, if you're an entrepreneur, you work in healthcare, you need these tips. She's been writing about personal finance since 2018, and now she talks about personal finance on her own podcast, Money with Katie. She is savvy. She's got a guide to building the life you want through managing your spending habits, tax strategies, and smart, simple investing. This was honestly, you guys, probably one of our most requested topics this year. And of course, we wanted to bring you guys the best. So our biggest, I just want to say this too. One of our biggest regrets is not learning about finances or more in depth with investing earlier. And this can be really stressful. So we want to make this easy for you guys. So Katie really makes money and finance so easy, so simple. She started getting proactive about her savings and took the time to learn. And at 25, she grew her net worth to a hundred thousand in the span of two years. Today we're going to get into her program, Budget Like a Millionaire. We're going to be talking personal finance, battling the norms for women in the workplace, 401ks, Roth IRAs, shift income secrets, getting rich for someone else. We're going to talk about that, diversifying your efforts and increasing your income. We're going to be talking about breaking the financial norms and investing. Get ready for you guys. Also, quick disclaimer, this is not financial advice, investment advice, or tax advice. The information in this episode is for information and recreational purposes only. It is not a recommendation to buy, sell, or otherwise transact in any of the products mentioned. Do your own due diligence, but tune in for some good stuff. Absolutely. And so without further ado, let's get into it with Money with Katie. Miss Katie, first of all, thank you so much for coming on The Selfie Show. This is by far one of our most requested topics, something that Sam and I know we are not good with. We are self-aware queens here. (laughs) 
And so thank you to come up for coming on. I want to ask you the first question, first iconic question we got to ask everybody is what is your unpopular opinion? How much time do you have? A lot. I have so many. Lay it on <laughs> us. Let's go. All right. Let's see. It could be anything. It can be anything. Yeah. I'm going to keep it in the money realm, though, okay. just to stay on brand here. My unpopular opinion through the lens of the personal finance world is that the obsession with homeownership is undeserved. Thank you. Well, as someone who's owned a home and now is in a one-bedroom apartment, that makes me feel better. <laughs> so please elaborate. Yeah, I would love to elaborate. My Here's my thing. And again, like I said, how much time do you have? Because I could talk about this for Go hours, queen. but I'm going to keep this concise. My beef with the homeownership narrative in the United States is that Housing in general is a bit of a paradox because the government obviously has propped up this asset class and like they've tried to incentivize people to own a home. They give you interest deductions or tax deductions based on owning a home or they have if we're the only country in the world that has a fixed 30 year mortgage. Like, why do you think that is? It's because the government wants you to be a homeowner. They think that they're going to engender better citizens and create a better country if people own their own property, which there are upsides, of course, and some people have gotten very wealthy from owning their homes. But it's a paradox in the sense that housing cannot both be an asset class that only ever goes up in value and is the key to your wealth and success and also an affordable human need. Like those two things are fundamentally incompatible. There's an amazing piece that was in The Atlantic, I think, last month about this. But I get bothered by the idea and the shame around renting that often gets levied at young people because I think it fundamentally distorts how expensive it is to own a home. And that depending on the house, depending on where you live, depending on how long you live in it, it can be a net loss, not a gain. But we never mm -hmm. talk about it like that. And Thank when you. we talk about saving for the down payment, we talk about replacing your rent with your mortgage. We don't talk about the taxes. We don't talk about the insurance. We don't talk about the fact that you better be prepared to spend one to two percent of the property's value on maintenance every year. There's so much that goes into it and it can be incredibly rewarding and incredibly gratifying if all goes well. But I just hate to see young people get pushed firmly in that direction without acknowledging the risks and without acknowledging that, yo, you can rent and build wealth in another way and end Thank up you. further ahead. And if you don't want to own a house, like you don't need to. But it's like gospel in this country. So that is always whenever I bring that up to people who are older than me, they're like, oh, you just don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, no, I do. That's the, I've <laughs> run the numbers and it doesn't make sense for everybody. So I wish we had I, we were able to have a yeah. more honest conversation about that. Our culture has used it as a benchmark for success. Like you're successful when yes. you own your own home. That's mm -hmm. so then we all strive for that. But then like even all the things you said that no one talks about, like HOA fees. God forbid you have an oh. HOA that's just going to suck you dry. Thousands. And then yeah. control, like you own something, but then you don't even have control over it. And then yeah. your house poor. When I owned my house, like finally I had my house, but no one talks about being house poor. Oh, mm -hmm. you got to furnish it and you got to maintain it. Mm -hmm. Like now, if Property something goes taxes. wrong, I call my landlord. I'm like, come change my light bulb. <laughs> I won't. I will not change my own light bulb where I live. I am because also I pay, a princess tenant. I pay good money to live there, and that uh, my yeah. water filter in my fridge. I put in a maintenance request every three months when it's time for the filter to change because it's like real. a what fifty dollar filter. You, you guys it. can change that. Yeah. I pay. I rent yeah. here. It's not my fridge. You change my filter. Yes, love that. Good rule of thumb is when you rent that monthly cost. That's the most you're ever going to pay. When you own, your mortgage payment is the least you're going to pay. That's the 
floor, baby. Mm. So like that HVAC goes out, I hope you got 20 grand sitting in the bank. So I think that's, we don't talk about it that way though. So I agree though. It's used as a benchmark for success. It can be used to, I don't know. I don't want to say control people, but I guess I just, in general, it's one of those things where I'm like, be very intentional with interrogating your own financial goals and making sure that they're actually yours and that they're not just goals that you have because someone else has told you your entire life that it's what you should want. Yeah. This is why we brought you on today mm-hmm. because I absolutely love that message. And actually what's interesting is I'm starting to hear that paradigm shift and everything that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Somehow I got on TikTok like economy, talk economy. Oh, nice. And- economy <laughs> talk. Yes. We love we that love for that you. For And that's a big conversation that a lot of people are talking about is home ownership. Like, I think that paradigm shift is starting to change and the perspective of that. Okay, we really want to know, we want to get the background on you. Okay, how did all of this start? Like, where did, uh, let's talk about baby Katie and then how she got to where (laughs) she is today. Were you good with finances when you were little? Did you spend your birthday money or did you save it? Okay. Oh Oh my God, I was a spender. I Money burned a hole in my pocket. But I do, I always feel like I should couch this conversation in the kind of framework that I grew up with immense socioeconomic privilege in the sense that I had married parents. They never divorced. My dad worked full time. My mom was a teacher. So she was, her hours matched mine. They were both very focused on me and my development. There was always food on the table. Like I was in private school. So I feel like it's important to say those things when I now, from my perspective at 28, I'm like, I'm good at money. And I I never want someone who did not have the privileges and the benefits and parents that talked about money with them to compare themselves and be like, oh, my God, I should be I'm so behind or I don't know anything or wow, I just I'm such a failure. Mm. Because, dude, no, you are a product of your environment. And I am perfect example of that. Like I really benefited from parents that talked to me about money and I never had that like socioeconomic insecurity, which can really screw up your relationship with money if you as a child are dealing with those things. So classic example of born on third base, right? So I always want to couch everything I say in that. That said, because I did not deal with those things, when I got money for Christmas or when I got money for my part-time jobs growing up, I just burned a hole in my pocket because I was like, ah, what do I need this money for? I'm not contributing to the household finances. I'm going to get a scholarship to college and my parents are going to pay for the rest. Like I can- when you don't have any fear or scarcity around money, it's actually very easy to blow it because you're like, there will always be more. So right. I think when I got my first job, though, my first full time job where it was like I was living on a salary, I was like fully supporting myself. That was the point in time where I think I was like 22 where I was like, oh, crap, like I remember getting my first full-time salary. It was $52,000. And at the time, that felt to me like more... I felt like a Kardashian. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to buy a Porsche. Like, I'm going to wear a designer, everything. $52,000 is so much money. I'm never going to be able to spend it all. And then three months pass and you're like, oh, I have to pay for water? I have to pay for the lights? Wait, what? That's not free. So it was like... Toilet paper? Yeah, garbage. Exactly. The first time I went to college and I had to buy toilet paper, I was like... This is bullshit. This is absolute bullshit. Taxes, like you calculate in your head, I make this much an hour. Uh I'm going to make this much. And then you get your check and you're like, what the fuck? Where's the rest? Actually, my debit card declined once when I was trying to buy a four pack of toilet paper at CVS and my debit card declined. And the dude was like, I don't know what to tell you. I was like, I need to make some changes in my life. That's my Lolo. Yeah, single ply. I'm like, I guess can I just buy one? Like, it was just terrible. So 
definitely was started from the bottom. Now we here for sure. But anyway, I had my salary. I was like, okay, I am. I recognized after a few months that like, I don't know where all this money is going. I don't know why there's n- never anything left over at the end of the month. I'm like looking at my core expenses, like my rent and my car payment and my insurance. And it was not, none of it was that high to explain like, oh, it's because 50% of my paycheck goes to these things. It's no, that's not really what's happening here. So something else is going on. And I just realized one day walking into work, like I'm on a hamster wheel. And the fact that I never have anything left to show for my work at the end of the month just kind of makes me feel like I'm treading water. And it's like everything that's coming in that I'm laboring for is just going right back out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to feel trapped. And I felt very trapped. Despite the fact that I liked my job, I was like, I don't want to do this for 40 more years. Like, I'm trying to live my life a little bit. So I started getting interested in personal finance probably like 2018. And I just devoured the content. I don't know why. I don't know what it was about it. I always, when people are like, why were you interested in money? I'm like, I don't know, because I'm greedy. Like, I wanted money. But really, that's kind of what it boiled down to. It was like, I want to be rich someday. And at the time, it seemed like, okay, how hard could that be? I'll figure it out. So I started learning about money. I started learning about investing. It just so happened that I started investing like during a really strong bull market where like every year the stock market was returning like 20%. I was like, investing is easy. That could be easier than this. I'm just like pressing a button on my computer and like I'm making money. But it was actually a great time to get started because it like really engendered a love of investing. Those numbers go up. Oh, this is. Yes. It's it's one thing when you're like saving every month and you're pushing aside a little bit of money and you're kind of seeing the balance grow slowly. It's another thing when it's like, oh my God, every time I open this account, it's higher. That is right. very addictive. And right. so I think I started writing about money on the internet shortly thereafter because I had a personal blog at the time. But then when the pandemic happened, I was already pretty like deep in the weeds of the like financial independence, retire early, retire at 35, travel the world subculture. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to make a blog about money. I'm just going to, who cares about this personal blog? I'm going to start writing about money only. And within, I would say, eight months, I probably had built an Instagram account for it with 5,000 followers. And I was like, God, I like love doing this. And then 2021 really supercharged it, started selling digital tools, started doing sponsorships. And then last year, 2022, we were a million dollar business. So it things wow. have happened. Congratulations. Quickly, but it's exciting. Oh, thank you. It was a huge awesome. milestone and it, it felt amazing. But yeah, I mean, it was really just following this personal interest and then running with it and realizing, that, oh, none of the other women my age know what they're doing either. They probably want to be rich, too. Let's see how we yep. can spread the information that I'm learning. What's so interesting is I think, okay, there isn't someone else out there like you, or there's very limited people out there like you who are female based and talking to the millennial Gen Z women. I don't want to hear a word out of Dave Ramsey's mouth. Thank you. Shut up, Dave. Thank you. (laughs) It's like we're over that. Let me talk to Katie. Move aside. We need need Katie Katie in our life. Step aside, Dave. Step aside. Thank you. And it's interesting, Coach, because we found you on Jenna Kutcher's podcast on the Gold Digger podcast. and. So discovered you and then did this deep dive on all things Katie. And like, I'm addicted to yeah, podcasts we're like sending now. your posts back and forth. Hey, we need to like get oh, our shit. Oh, you yeah. guys. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm like blushing. 
know, we absolutely love you. And so what's interesting is you have this really great rich girl mindset. And I really want to know, what does rich mean to you? It's funny. It's changed over time. But I feel like I should tell you the etymology of rich girl because that whole thing started because the summer that I started writing Money with Katie, Hot Girl Summer was like the song. It was like very popular. And I was like, nah, bitches, not a hot girl summer. It's a rich girl summer. We're a rich and like, girl. I like that. Cancel the nail appointment. Open the Roth IRA. Like, we're not focusing on how mm. we look. We're focusing on the number in the bank. And so it kind of was like a joke at first because I was trying to get people excited about about personal finance and about investing. Right. You wanted to make something that's like, not sexy, sexy. You're making it sexy. Yes. And I love that. Yeah. It- and like, I thought it was sexy. That's the thing is like, I was like. Nothing makes me feel more empowered and more like I can do whatever I want than building wealth. Like having, uh, I think at the time, I don't remember exactly how much money I had, but I had crossed the six-figure net worth. And it was just weird how it makes you show up differently. Like you accept less shit from people. You are more more of a go-getter about the kinds of like opportunities you want to go after. Like you just kind of move through the world differently when you know that you have that safety net and you feel... I don't know. You just have this like inner confidence that like you can you can make something of your life and of and you're valuable. And not that money should ever be the thing where it's oh I have money so I'm valuable. But it's more so the process of doing that for yourself that makes you mm-hmm. believe in yeah. your own self efficacy. That's true. Like bad bitch energy for sure. I love that TikTok of Cardi B. Yes. Yeah. God. Cardi B. She's y'all not budgeting. You're not budgeting. <laughs> I love her. I love her. No, she's, she's like my, my mascot, honestly. She's my idol. She's when my I muse. like, even yeah. like in Bodak Yellow and she's got a bag and fix my teeth. I'm like, okay, bitch. Yes. <laughs> Get your and teeth. then she's just like paying all her bills. I'm like, from stripper to Cardi B, I support Dude. it. The confidence as women, I am fine on my own to have that wealth that you talked about and those investments. Mm-hmm. It, the, your world could fall apart tomorrow. No job is ever guaranteed. something could happen to your house, your car, whatever, but just knowing I don't need someone to help me out, like I got this on my own, that's bad bitch energy. It's just there's nothing, and even it comes up in like the weirdest ways too. There was, I used to get really stressed when I would travel because if flight was going to get canceled or if I thought I was going to be stranded somewhere, it was like always this very tense experience of, oh my God, what if I'm stuck here? What if I have to like sleep in the airport? And even just having the resources to, I don't know how to put this, but it's almost like when you feel like you have the resources mm-hmm. to buy your way out of inconvenient situations. Yeah. Where I'm like, if I get stuck somewhere, I would just go get a hotel room. Like I would just Uber somewhere and stay somewhere. Right. Or if I if my flight got canceled, I would just walk over to a different gate and buy a flight a last minute. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't love doing that. Like, I don't want to waste money on things, but But you can. There is just a certain security mm-hmm. that it brings that it just nothing beats how good that feels. And so I kind of wanted to show at the time, other women like me that maybe were earning good money, but not really sure what to do with it. So that's kind of where it came from. And I think it has evolved because I want to be inclusive. And I also want to make sure that I'm not spreading this late stage capitalist hellscape message of do whatever you have to do to get rich and screw everybody else. That's definitely yeah. not what I stand for. But I don't know. I think there is there is a balance and it's very hard to deny that like, having wealth and resources is going to make your life. It's going to make your experience of your own life more fulfilling really that's why we wanted you here today because our audience is largely female large population that either currently work in healthcare or are in school for it or have some sort of interest in it and 
I kind of explained this to you offline, but historically, we have a healthcare conundrum. We we just we have we make good money, but like how you mentioned, you got your first job and you were salaried at fifty two thousand, and you this is we're we work in a world where we're not salaried. Correct. So when you work mm-hmm. shift work by the hour, there's no such thing as a budget. If I want to go on vacation, I work an extra shift. If I want to get my nails done, I mm-hmm. work an extra shift. If yeah. I want to go on it's the vacation, just, I, I, yes, I burn myself into the ground and then that leads into the whole nurse burnout thing. But there's no stopping point. So sure. we just can always dip into more at the expense of our own health and sanity. Absolutely. But yeah. we've, so then we don't ever learn to budget. Yeah. And I would actually mm-hmm. take this a step further, too. So you have nurses and shift workers at the bedside, and then you also have doctors in the medical. You have NPs, PAs, all starting practices and dentistry. And entering the world in enti- debt. <laughs> entering the world in debt and then also taking on these businesses and not having a business background. I would mm-hmm. argue most healthcare professionals in our higher level education never once took either a finance 101 or business 101. Or economics. Or economics yeah. even. I, yeah, absolutely. That's not even in our curriculum. And so it's interesting mm-hmm. because I do think we get ourselves into this cycle of being able to make really good money, but then really not being good with it. And then so I think what I want to maybe nail down as the first question is, what are maybe some of the big mistakes that a lot of us make with mm-hmm. money that maybe are like not super obvious, but some things that you think might be good tips on how to avoid them? For starters, I think it's worth kind of contextualizing this conversation in the idea that this is a great problem to have. Like the fact that we're talking about people that are already earning really good money and maybe just don't know what to do with it. That is a hundred times better than the opposite, which is I know exactly what I'm doing, but I make $12 an hour. It is much easier to learn the basics and like press a few buttons on the computer and change your life than it is to go out Mm -hmm. and find a high paying job. And it's very Mm -hmm. difficult, especially in 2023 with the way the cost of living is today to be able to make a ton of progress when the income is just not there. And so I think when you're in a position where you're making above median wages or you're even you're an objectively high earner, like good news for you, the challenge is actually a pretty low bar to clear. It's like you just got to kind of master a few basics and you're probably going to be set and really not going to have to think about this ever again. I think that's worth saying up front. The second thing I would say is if you're working in the medical profession, good news, you have already learned skills that are much harder and much more complicated than money management. This is going to, it may be a block for you and you may feel like, oh my God, this is so complicated and no one ever taught me this, but you've done much harder things if you work in the medical field. Like this should be hopefully pretty easy by comparison. So just I love you. Thank you. So many of us don't feel that way. So it's good. I'm like, thank you. No, I mean, (laughs) you're smart if you're doing what you're doing. I mean, I couldn't do what you do. So like you're probably going to actually have a pretty easy time with this. And I think there's you had mentioned people that go into medical fields and they've never taken business classes. The interesting thing is that most entrepreneurs, most people that run businesses, most people that are really good with personal finance learned it outside of school because they don't really teach you these things in school. I mean, I guess you could study entrepreneurship and they could teach you like how to form an LLC and like how paying employees works and qualified retirement plans. But for the most part, even the people I know that studied things like accounting will send me messages like, dude, I am a CPA and I don't know half the stuff you talk about. So I think a lot of this stuff is outside of school and you're not behind if you didn't learn this in school because like no one does. So all that disclaimers 
to say, I think the biggest things boil down to this very three-part simple essence, which is earn more, spend less, invest the difference. Everything ladders up to that. And if you're doing that, you're going to be fine and you're going to get ahead. So what does that really look like? You mentioned this whole conundrum of we make good money, but because there's no stopping point, there's no limit, I can always just work more if I want to earn more. That's an interesting position to be in. Like, truly, it is. Because there are very few fields that work like that where the payoff is significant. Like, typically, hourly wage labor is not paid very well. So, yeah, you could take on more hours, but, like, it's not going to really move the needle significantly in the way that it sounds like it might for you, Sam, or the way that it's going to move the needle in that type of field. So I think the thing to think about is bare bones, the first thing you have to do, like, non-negotiable, the first thing you have to do is you have to sit down and figure out how much your life costs. And this is scary for people. This is the step that people try to skip because they're like, oh, I don't want to know. But I promise you, even though it's a scary exercise, even if you are devastated by what you find, it's still better than not knowing. Like you are still going to feel better than the uncertainty and the kind of Schrodinger's cat that you probably feel right now. We're like, I don't want to open the box because I don't know what's in there. It just open the box and get it over with. That means kind of setting it up in in two main categories, which is what are my fixed expenses? What are like the bare bone things that I need to live? This is my rent or my mortgage, my car payment, my insurance costs. If I'm just buying the food that I need and I'm not balling out at restaurants or whatever, child care, like what have you. Bare bones expenses, what does that cost? Okay, once you figure that out and you, you can literally write it on a piece of paper, you don't have to use any fancy software or anything, but add it up. And then you want to go in and you want to say, all right, what do I want to be spending? What feels good to me? And there's probably numbers that you're already spending that you're like, okay, this is kind of like my Amazon purchases. Maybe I'm looking at my credit card statements to learn these this information, but this is what I'm spending on Amazon every month. This is what I'm spending at Whole Foods. This is what I'm spending on my hair and my nails. Or I'm just naming random categories now, yeah. but those flexible expenses that like can change. And you could dial them up or down. If you were to lose your job tomorrow, the things that you'd be like, ah, not doing that. Or if it's like, all right, I worked extra hours, I'm going to actually dial that up a little bit. And once you have a sense for what you have to be spending to live and what you want to be spending to live the type of lifestyle you actually want, looking at that and going, all right, what is my income, my normal income, not I'm working a ton of extra hours income, but what is my normal income compared to that? How much bandwidth or like how much margin is there. And then I think once you have that nailed down, it's easy to figure out what your next step is. Because for some people, usually this exercise nets a couple different outcomes. Some people go, oh, there's actually a lot of margin there. And I just have a lot of cash and savings that's not doing anything for me. Like I have $50,000 in a savings account that I really don't need. For that type of person, it's like, all right, I have an emergency fund. Clearly, I've got the cash I need on hand for emergencies. But I need to start investing now. And so let me look at that path and pursue that path. There are some people that are going to look at this and go, I don't even know how I'm making this work because I think I'm spending more than I'm bringing in. Okay, you have one of two issues. You either are not earning enough or you're living beyond your means. And I think in the medical profession, it's probably more likely that it's the second one where you're living beyond your means and not that you're not earning enough. Spenders. And so it's a bit of a challenging it's a challenging exercise where you have to be very honest with yourself but then you're going line by line and you're like all right let me be real with myself where am i wasting like where am i 
kind of being irresponsible? What do I spend money on that I have that instinctual feeling that I should not be spending money on this? Because ideally, you want to get to the point where you have 15 to 20% of margin buffer between income and expenses so that you can be investing for the future and you can be building that nest egg. But that's very hard to do if like you're running it, you're ripping it right up to the edge every single month. And some people are hustlers and they're like, oh, screw it, I'll just work more. Okay, that's going to work in the it's a short-term solution. But yeah. to your point about burnout, it doesn't last forever. Yeah, it doesn't. And you don't want to be trapped. Like it comes back to that idea of you don't want to be stuck. You never want to be in a situation where you can't buy your way out of it. And there's that concept of fuck you money. It's the money that says, all right, I'm burnt out on this. I just went through years of pandemic and I don't want to do this anymore. I want to take a year off. You want to buy yourself that optionality. You deserve that optionality. You work hard enough to have that optionality. You don't want to be putting yourself in a position where you're robbing yourself of the optionality that you have worked really hard for. So sometimes it's a mindset shift. Sometimes it's like the tactical approach of you just need to set up the account and start contributing to it and you don't have a cash flow problem. But I think everyone will be coming at this from a different perspective, depending on the position they are in right now. This is probably one of the bigger topics we all have to tackle. Let's talk debt. So we're talking mm. student loans. We're talking credit cards. We're talking in that line. How should someone tackle that? What's the best approach mm -hmm. from your perspective? And in terms of investment, let's say you get hired, you're at a job, great. And you are, you have a 401k. Should you start investing? Should you start contributing to that mm. or tackle debt first? What's your thought on that? For sure. It comes down to the interest rate for me. So it's mastering the concept of opportunity cost. So if I have student loan debt, and I mean, let's pretend I'm a surgeon and I was in school for years and years and I have yeah. a half a million dollars in, in medical debt. Not medical debt, sorry. Yeah. Medical yeah. school debt. Yeah. School. Very school different loans. than medical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which some people do have. But a lot of people do <laughs> have that. We can yeah. go down that rabbit hole too. Yeah. Okay, we're talking <laughs> medical school debt. I would be looking at the interest rate. And hopefully, I'm crossing my fingers here, if you got out of medical school a few years ago, you were hopefully still in that low interest rate environment where hopefully your, low, your debt is actually at a pretty decently low rate. So think three, four, even 5% interest. Now, if you're like, oh, it's seven, eight, 9% interest, now we're starting to creep into the territory of hair on fire debt, which is how I would classify credit card debt, 20%, 25% interest rate. Like mm -hmm. that should be your top financial priority, almost like without question. The way that we arrive at that interest rate number, though, and is we look at the average stock market returns. So we want to know, OK, I have this incremental dollar that I'm going to use to increase my net worth, either by investing it or by paying down this liability that I have this debt. Where is this dollar going to go the furthest? Like, where am I going to get the most bang for this buck? And we know that over time, generally speaking, the stock market after inflation is going to return around 7% per year on average. Now, that doesn't happen every year. Sometimes you get plus 30%. Sometimes it's down negative 20%. That's 2021 and 2022 for you. Very up and then very down. That doesn't happen every year. And history is not necessarily the perfect crystal ball for the future, but it does give us a benchmark to work from. So that's where the 7% comes from. Is I know that this dollar that I put into this 401k, A, it's going to give me a tax break. So that's valuable. That's worth whatever my marginal tax rate is because I'm not paying taxes on that dollar anymore. And this dollar is going to compound and grow to more with the asterisk of we don't know how much more, but like probably at a rate of about 7% per year. We know, though, that debt is also compounding. 
And so if the debt is compounding more slowly than the money in the market is compounding, we go put the money in the market. If the debt is compounding more quickly than the money in the market, now it actually makes more sense to put the dollar toward the debt. So that's where I like to use 7% as kind of the cutoff. And anything below that, I'm usually like, yeah, pay the minimum payments, stay, make the payments you need to, but any incremental money, put it into the market so it will go to work for you. Whereas if you have credit card debt, okay, that debt is compounding faster than whatever you're putting in the stock market. You're getting further behind. It doesn't make sense to do that, mathematically speaking. Now, the last caveat, though, is that everyone deals with debt differently, psychologically speaking. And I think, I do think that our society has a way of making you feel like shit about debt and making you feel like it's just inherently a bad thing. And so I think it's important to ask yourself, do I, have I internalized this? Do I think that, do I feel badly about this because someone else has told me I should? Or is this really keeping me up at night truly? And I think if you're at a point where even if the debt has a low interest rate, you're still like, I just want it gone. I just don't want to have to think about Mm -hmm. this anymore. Fair. Like your money is your own. So even if the math tells you to do one thing, ultimately you're the one that has to live with it. So if you would rather go ham on the debt and focus on that first, be my guest. Like either way, you're increasing your net worth. So it's not one is inherently better than the other. It's just how optimized you want to be from like, a I have this $1 to spend. Where should I put it? Where is it going to go the farthest? Do you have any strategies for someone who maybe does have debt, especially maybe like credit card debt, if they feel like they're already strapped, they already almost feel like they're living paycheck to paycheck and they're yeah. making the minimum yeah. payments, how they can kind of yeah. tackle That's this? That's a great question. For sure. A couple things. So If you are in that position where like you don't have a ton extra and you feel like I think in that case, what you have is a cash flow problem where you're like, okay, I need to just buy myself a little bit of wiggle room. Like right now I'm in a straight jacket where it's like the payment, my my income is coming in and then I'm making the minimum payment. I have no room to even maneuver because there's no margin to work with. Right. So I think with the credit card, the one thing that I would probably recommend there is to explore some shorter term solutions that can at least give you a little bit of room to maneuver where, yeah, it's not going to fix it in the long term, but it's going to open up your options in the short term so that you can start making progress. So one thing that you can look at is a balance transfer. So you can what you can do is sign up for a credit card that has a zero percent introductory APR for 12 to 18 months. And then depending on the line of credit you're approved for and depending on how much credit card debt you have, you can transfer the balance to that card where the interest goes back down to zero for 12 to 18 months. So now it's like it's at least not continuing to compound. And it's like, all right, cool. That just bought me some breathing room. Now I can really make a plan. So now I can look at my spending, look at my income, say, do I need to be working more? Do I need to be finding a different job? Do I need to find a side hustle? Like, how can I actually create some margin now? And maybe it's, dude, no, I make $120,000 a year. I just need to like really rein it in. Cool. Now I have 12 to 18 months and probably you want to do it more in the front half of this so you you don't end up having to pay interest again. But now I can start cutting back on my spending and stop making the problem worse. Maybe I'm going to go on an all cash diet and I'm going to, if I'm getting a paycheck for five grand, like, I'm going to pay what I have to pay and then decide what portion of that I'm going to throw at the credit card debt and the rest I'm going to take out in cash. And when that cash is gone, it's gone. And I'm not going to dig that hole deeper for myself. But this is one of those things where even if you've been paying, if you are in credit card debt and you start to make changes, it can feel very defeating because it actually takes about eight weeks for those changes to really take hold. Like 
you're but because of the way credit card payments work where like you are paying for things today that you bought eight weeks ago or six weeks ago you're it there's a bit of a lag period where like you might start doing things that are actually really moving the needle but you're not going to feel the benefit of that for about a month and a half so you kind of have to stick with it in the beginning and be like ah okay it's gonna feel bad it's gonna feel shitty but like you're going to start to benefit from it and be like, oh, wow, that last balance was lower. Oh, look, it's getting smaller now. But it takes a little bit of time. So I think it's just mm -hmm. a recognition of it's going to suck for a little bit. But like it is suck that is well worth actually enduring for the payoff of getting out from under that. You said all cash diet. I feel like you kind of touched on it. But oh, can yeah. you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, I think I'm going to make an assumption. I put all my spending on credit cards. Like, I never buy things yeah. in cash. I don't even yeah, use a debit card. I only yeah. use credit cards. I'm like Apple yeah. Pay and now I, at like, this point. Yeah. 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 Like, it's things where you're like, it's... Uh, the point is, it's very easy to spend when you're spending on a credit card. You don't feel... Yeah. They've mm -hmm. done studies that, like, it, you don't actually... Your brain does not register it as, like, a loss in the same way that handing someone cash does. So... If you have gotten yourself into credit card debt, it's important to release the shame around that, not beat yourself up about it. Just treat it like, okay, this is the situation we're in. This is how we're going to get out of it. But what probably got us into that situation is that we were spending more than we had. We were living beyond our means for a period of time. Sometimes people do that just to get by. Sometimes you have a surgery. Sometimes your dog needs surgery. Sometimes like things happen and hmm. it does not necessarily mean that like, you've you went out and bought a g-wagon on the mx that's not i think it's yeah. just important to it's like the little things that add up it's yeah it's, it's a dog rambo surgery. and moses getting yeah. a surgery Absolutely. both in one year or, yeah. oh your car needs new tires the transmission blue it's, yeah yes. it's the unexpected exactly. oh your taxes life you happens right yeah bingo right. so i think it's just i always i don't know i think it's very easy to get into like shamey category with the like shamey mm -hmm. territory with this stuff and so i just think it's important to always like come at this with grace and like compassion for yourself and be like dude i didn't do this on purpose things happened yeah. and now but now i'm gonna get myself out of it and we're gonna move on yeah well i think then you get that blowhard like dave ramsey being like you're never allowed to eat out for the rest of your life until oh, you're debt free also, yeah. making it a moral issue like, Bro. like i feel like he makes it a <laughs> right. very moral issue which to me feels like i don't like that <laughs> oh yeah for sure yeah. who does who wants yeah. to be like bible thumped at you're exactly. a bad person because you did this it's like what yeah. My dog needed surgery. What would you have done? Like not gotten your dog the surgery? Like yeah, I don't old yeller him? Right. No. I have another question. I know. In terms of the debt question, this is a question for you because this is something that actually I did, and I want your thoughts on this too. What about? Yeah. So you have the transfer of the credit card. What about pulling out mm -hmm. a loan to cover mm -hmm. all your debt and then paying it? That's something that I did, but I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you just have to be conscious of the fees and that they're not kind of nickel and diming you in ways that you're not recognizing. Like, okay. I I've seen people take out consumer loans to basically consolidate a bunch of credit card debt that maybe has 17% right. APR, 20% APR, whatever. And then they'll get it all together and then they'll pay off a consumer loan at 9%. I don't really see a problem with that as a mechanism for paying off debt more quickly and trying to lower the interest rate. But those companies are obviously making money on you somehow. So right. you just want to be aware of like, all right, is there like a front load fee? Is there like an early payment fee that if I do end up paying it off faster, they're going to charge me for that? You just want to be, you want to read the fine print and know what you're signing up for. But generally speaking, if you can get debt from a higher interest rate to a lower one, that is 
oftentimes better. The only kind of caveat or like the reason why sometimes people will advise against both the balance transfer and what we're describing here is because people will say that, oh, but it's just you're just enabling yourself to get into more debt later. And I don't think that's the case necessarily. I think it's more that you're using a tool to work smarter, not harder. So as long as you're serious about not putting of changing the core behavior that puts you in that situation to begin with, I don't see any problem with it. I felt empowered when I did it. I used, and I'll just give them a shout out, a plug, because I really love them. I used Upstart and it was so easy. I did. I was aware, like you said, I think that's a good thing to talk about is percentages, but I felt empowered. And then I was like, once I was able to clear off all that, I was like, okay, I am tackling this. This is, I felt really good. And I was like, I'm taking charge of what I'm doing and I'm being more responsible. I'm adulting. (laughs) That's all really good. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a really good, (laughs) yeah, but I feel like. It's a good conversation to be having, but I want to know, okay, so let's talk to the newer generation who are coming up and I want to maybe Mm -hmm. break down 401ks and IRAs Mm. and that. Can you be happier? Yes. Can we (laughs) get into that? Investment 101. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about investing. So, okay. The 401k and the IRA they sound very lofty. They have these fancy names and it's kind of, they're basically named for sections of the tax code because they were invented in the last, I don't know, 40 years, 30 years, give or take, as an attempt to help American workers save for their own retirement with the added incentive of a tax advantage. So you say all that and you're like, what the fuck does that even mean? It basically means that In the case of a 401k and like the similar accounts, like if you work in a hospital, you may have a 403b. That's another one. Or like you may have access to a 457 or a 401. There are various types of these types of accounts with little nuances of them, depending on the employer that you work for. But what they do is they allow you to take part of your salary or part of your income if you're not salaried and shield it from taxes and say, I'm still going to keep this. I'm just not going to pay any taxes on it. I'm going to sock it away so it'll grow for later. And then when I use it later, I'll pay the taxes on it. So it's really just a way to defer your compensation into the future. And the reason that I really like it is because it creates that upfront tax break. Last year, I think my husband and I were in the 32% tax bracket But I had contributed to what's called a solo 401k, which is a 401k that you can open for yourself. No one has to give it to you, but you have to be a business owner. So if you are a business owner and you're self-employed, you don't have any employees, you can open this for yourself and contribute up to, I think that year it was $58,000. It's a lot of money that you can put in it. So I basically put in $58,000 of business income. And socked it away. And because my tax rate that year was 32%, I saved, math, about $18,000 in taxes. So that's money that literally just stays in my pocket that then I can go turn around and invest somewhere else. So that's why I really like these types of tools. And most for-profit and even nonprofit employers will provide you access to them, but they don't force you to use them. So it's up to you to be like, okay, how much of my salary am I going to defer for later? I'm going to lower my tax bill in the process so I get to keep more of my income and it's going to grow for the next however many years and I'm going to have income in the future because of it. So that's the 401k side of things and the associated accounts. A Roth IRA is something very similar, but a little bit different in the sense that no employer gives you one. You can go to any brokerage firm and just open it up yourself 
you put post-tax money in it. So money that you've already paid taxes on that has already come to you in one way or the other. But then the money that you put in is never taxed again. So if you invest $1,000 in this Roth IRA and wait 40 years and it's now worth $20,000, you now get to keep the whole $20,000. You don't have to pay taxes on any of it. So it's either you get the tax break up front or you get it later. But if you are a high earner, if you're someone that is in a higher marginal tax rate, I tend to like those pre-tax options because it's like, all right, cool. I'm actually going to owe the IRS less now and hold on to more of it. It's a really nice way to to get some money socked away and kind of make, again, smarter, not harder, make the dollar go further, be a little bit more efficient, yeah. a little bit more optimized. And these are vehicles. Like you can think about these like flower pots that you're planting seeds in. You always got to make sure you're picking the seeds though. Like the 401k itself is not an investment. It's just the flower pot. So the investments inside it are what's growing. That's what I was just going to ask next. I was like, you can then invest in anything you want inside of it. But one thing that sometimes people will, one very easy mistake to make that I've seen incredibly intelligent people make. So I apologize if I insult your intelligence by pointing this out, but it's worthwhile to say they'll open a Roth IRA and put money in it and then they won't invest the money in anything and it'll just be cash and it won't be growing. So that defeats the purpose. You want to make sure that you invest the money once you open the account and put cash in it. When you're going into the flower pot and we're going in there, yes. do you have any recommendations of how to invest? What are some tools or maybe some ways or things that you have in your tool belt to help us yes. understand that or navigate where to invest? Totally. So when you are investing, you are effectively buying a very small portion of a company, which entitles you to their future profits. So some people like to try to guess which companies are going to be more profitable in the future, and they will assess the price of the stock, like how much is it going to cost me to buy one share of this company and access those profits in the future. Other people say, I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to guess. I just want to buy all of the companies in a certain proportion of one another, which is where you get things like index funds, where you can buy an index fund that represents the S&P 500, and now you own a very small portion of all 500 big companies in the United States, and you are entitled to their profits and dividends now in the future. That's a very popular index fund because it obviously is one where you probably have heard of all the companies you're buying. It just feels very comfortable. It's one that is getting clobbered right now because 25% of it is tech and the tech sector is getting massacred because of the interest rate hikes. And they, a lot of these companies overhired during the pandemic. So now they're doing layoffs and their profits are not hitting. Like the earnings are lower than anticipated. I think personally, my investor philosophy is that it behooves you to own a little bit of everything. Because if you think about a company like Google or Amazon and how they have risen to meteoric heights. Like I think Amazon is one of the biggest companies in the world. I don't know if it has a market cap at 100 or at a trillion dollars yet, but if it doesn't yet, it's close. But at one point in time, Amazon was just a little itty bitty seedling. So if you had only owned the S&P 500, you did not own Amazon stock until it was one of the biggest 500 companies. So I like to own kind of a smattering of different index funds that buy sectors of the market that are not big or are not tech or are not growth like the small companies that are value priced that like one of them might be the next facebook or amazon or google or whatever but if i only own the s&p 500 i don't get that so one tool that i would recommend i guess i'll give you two 
One thing is called target date funds. So target date funds are something that you'll often see inside a 401k and they'll have a year associated with them. So it'll be like, oh, target date fund 2030, 2035, 2040, whatever. The idea is that you pick the year you think you're going to retire and that's the fund you invest in. And then it puts you in domestic stocks, international stocks, domestic bonds and international bonds. So it kind of gives you a nice little smattering. And then over time, it rebalances itself. So it's selling off things and buying things for you. Another thing that you can do, which is why I love living in the year 2023, are invest with a a fintech company, a robo-advisor. There's a lot of them. I like Betterment the best because I like their investing philosophy. I've partnered with them for a long time. But there's also ones like Wealthfront, M1 Finance. These are companies where you can go in and you can be like, I'm 27 and I make this much money and I want to have this much money in this many years. Thanks. Go do something with it. And an algorithm will invest the money for you. So you don't have to know anything. You can just pick a robo-advisor, answer the questions, and then put cash in it. And it will invest in an expert, diversified portfolio for you for a very low fee. So for people that like want to really learn more and get into it, like we can talk about diversified index funds all day. But for the purposes of a conversation like this one where someone could be like, dude, I don't care. Like, I this is not my thing. I just want to make sure I have money in 20 years from yeah. now. I would definitely recommend going for like a robo advisor and okay. letting it automatically diversify for you. We're going to actually, when we're done here, Katie, we're going to link that in the show notes for everybody because we'll oh, for sure. happily, we'll use your link because oh, we want everyone you. to have easy access to all of these things. And I'm 100%. I'm like, I'm going to get on that. <laughs> so. The more access we have to investing, the better. What is your suggestion on how much people should be investing or contributing to the different 401k versus a Roth versus things Mm. like different investment portfolios or even buying stocks or things like that? Great question. Like most things in finance, it depends. Although I would say a general rule of thumb that I'll tell people is like, If you are saving and investing 10% of your money for the future, you're going to be able to retire someday. You're not going to be 40 years old, but you'll get there. If you're investing 20% of your income, now you're probably going to shave 15-ish years off that timeline, like just by going from 10 to 20%. So I think it's a good way to think about like, how badly do you want to be financially independent? How badly do you want to get to the point where you could live off your investments and never have to work another day in your life? And then that'll tell you how aggressive you want to be. But I would say general rule of thumb, 20% is a good thing to shoot for. And then once you've hit that 20% mark, then you can adjust and be like, oh, hey, do I feel like I could do more? Like without really, I don't know, pricing very much. Let me just try for 25% and see how that feels. And maybe you'll go up to 30 or 25 or 30. And you're like, oh, actually, I had to say no to a lot of things this month that I actually wanted to do. I don't, that actually might be a little bit too much for me right now. All right, cool. Dial it back down. But I think it's good. There's good to have floor where you're like, I'm always going to shoot for this. Maybe I'll do more, but I'm going to try to go for that. Once you kind of establish that overall savings benchmark, I think you can think about how you divvy it up between those different accounts. And generally speaking, at a higher tax rate, I prefer to invest as much as possible in the 401k and then calculate what the tax savings are. And then Mm. invest the tax savings in the Roth IRA. So it always, for me, comes back to like, how do I make every single dollar go further? How do I be as optimized as possible? And in this year, in 2023, 
you can invest up to $22,500 in a 401k. So let's say you were in the 24% tax bracket. That means if you were to do that, if you were to go balls to the wall, 22.5 in a 401k, you would have $5,400 in tax savings that you did not have before. So I'd be like, cool, that's 5,400 bucks that I didn't even have before. I'm going to invest that in the Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. I think that's how I like to think about it. But for some people, they're like, nah, I don't really care about that. I'm just going to say I've got a thousand bucks a month to invest. I'm going to put 500 here, 500 there call it a day. Either way, you're going to be ahead of 90% of people. But if you are an optimizer like I am and you're like, I want to get, I want to just squeeze as much juice as I can out of this fruit, that's probably the approach that I would take with the caveat that you always want to make sure you're getting your 401k match. So if your employer is, if you put in 5%, we'll put in 5%. Always put in at least enough to get the match, even if you have debt, even if you're paying off credit card debt. Mm -hmm. This is a 100% ROI. Yeah free yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. Don't leave right. it on the table. No matter what, always do that. That would be my only caveat is even if you're like, oh, I'd rather prioritize the Roth IRA, definitely still get the match though in the 401. I think the mistake that a lot of us in healthcare make is relying so much on our employee employers for the investments. Mm. So I kind of want to talk about this a little bit because maybe a little bit as an extension of that conversation with investments. So what type mm. of investments in general are you doing or that are out there that we maybe don't know about? Because I think in our mm. head, a lot of us are kind of framed in the idea of 401k, IRA, and then home as like the mm. investments in your life. But what are some other things that we're also not thinking about? I know we've mentioned a couple, but... Interesting. Okay. I would say if somebody has all three of those things, they're probably going to be fine. And they yeah. probably could stop totally. there and it would be chill. So someone's like, oh God, I have those three, but I haven't even thought about anything else. It's like, no, you're good, dude. Don't <laughs> worry. But I think one thing that some people probably look is just the taxable brokerage account. And you can invest in pretty much anything in a taxable brokerage account. So like you can invest in private real estate in a taxable brokerage account. You could invest in crypto, which I personally don't recommend, mm. but that's your thing. If you like crypto, go for it. And I think the thing about the taxable brokerage account that's so nice is that there are really no rules compared to a Roth IRA or a 401k where it's like you can only put in this much. And like typically in a 401k, you have very limited options about what you can buy. And you there are rules about when you can take it out and how and penalties and taxes and what. And there are ways around those things. We won't get into those loopholes today yeah. for this conversation. But like, if you want them, I got you. But We're a taxable brokerage account. Yeah. A taxable brokerage account is very flexible. And if you're in a position where like, you can afford to invest more than in just these qualified accounts. I would definitely be going to a company like Betterment or if you are more of a DIY investor going to Vanguard or a Fidelity, opening a taxable brokerage account and putting your extra cash in there and investing in index funds or maybe if you do want to get into individual stocks inside that account. But like I said, okay. the kind of the thing is with those qualified accounts, the IRA and the 401k, you get such a tax benefit from them that I think it's important to to not overlook that. You can strike a balance for sure, and flexibility is certainly worth something, but you're going to see faster progress inside those tax-advantaged accounts because there's no tax drag on the balance. This is a fully loaded episode. This is what we wanted. I feel like you've been explaining things in a way, too, that I haven't actually heard from anybody. When I do like search oh, and Google things, the way you explain oh, it is you very... You make things so simple yeah. and very digestible, oh, which you. is amazing. Good. I would love to know 
What are your favorite apps or tools that you're using for investing? What are your go-tos? And we will also link anything sure. that you have. We'll, we'll link those in the show notes too. Oh, amazing. I have a few. So the brokerage that I currently am using the most is called M1 Finance because I don't have a partnership with this. Is We aren't affiliated in any way, but I do like their product. I like them because you can go in and you can pick what they call pies. So They'll have a very aggressive pie, an aggressive, a conservative, a moderately conservative. Like you can go in and be like, okay, I want to be moderately conservative in this account because I want this money in 10 years or five years. And so you don't even have to pick the holdings. It'll just be like, all right, this is what you should be in if that's when you want the money. And you, every time you add more cash, it automatically disperses it amongst those holdings. So you're not having to make the decision every month. Like you could literally be like, okay, I'm trying to save for a wedding and I'm going to have it in five years or I'm trying to say for like to have a kid, whatever, because in America it costs a zillion dollars to have a child. We love that for us. But mm-hmm. anyway, you could decide that and then you could set up an automatic transfer every month where maybe you've decided you're going to put $200 a month toward this. It'll automatically take the money out, put it into the account and invest it properly for you. And you're like, amazing. So it's a way to just make it super no brainer. The, the hardest part is just making sure you have the money set aside to transfer And once that's done, it's done. So it's a very automatic way to build wealth. So I really like M1 Finance for that. Betterment also does automatic transfers. So I would say if you want an even more hands-off Betterment to your platform. I also like this app called Copilot, which is a budgeting slash, it's like an aggregator app. So I like it because I have a bunch of credit cards. I have a bunch of investment accounts, like I'm always, there's a lot of moving pieces and parts in my financial life. And if I were having to like actually log into all these different mm-hmm, accounts, mm-hmm. it would take me forever and I would miss things. So I like having them all kind of aggregated in one spot so I can kind of keep an eye on things. And then I also use a product that I make and sell called the Wealth Planner, mm. which is a way to kind of set those types of goals and do higher level planning for yourself. So like my money routine right now is at the end of every month, I go in and I use Copilot and all the aggregations that it's given me. And I record every account balance so I can see what is my net worth compared to 30 days ago. Mm. Has it gone up? Has it gone down? How much did I save? How much did I spend? There's like short-term and long-term goal tracking. And it's just a very empowering way to see everything in one place and to feel like, all right, I'm in control of what's happening here. Even if I have a negative net worth, like I have a liability and debt pay down tracker so that I can see, okay, It's negative, but it's getting closer to zero and it's getting closer to start being in the positive, which I think is a really powerful psychological tool Mm -hmm. that like I think a lot of people, especially like intelligent individuals that are working in a very complex and difficult field, you're probably the type of person that once you see something gamified in front of you, you're going to get competitive with yourself and you're going to want to get better. I think like intimacy with your numbers is really important. So I like the wealth planner slash co-pilot combo for that it just really i think people are consistently surprised by what that type of awareness will do for them i cannot wait i'm 100 downloading your, your product because so this <laughs> I mean, year i have it pulled up right now we're literally we're looking like, at it right now so i've had my eyeball on it and i this year it's interesting i have made it a goal for myself to be exceptionally much more intimate with my money. And I love that you speak on that because I do think something that's really hard for a lot of us, especially Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you're in a situation where you maybe do have debt, where you 
are living paycheck to paycheck, ironically, but still making a lot of money, but you're still kind of floundering. I think there's a lot of us out there, especially in this economy where the interest rate are high. A lot of us in high taxable income areas, California, we're paying rent like it's insane, the thing. So I do think but I think getting more intimate with our money is really important. And I'm really excited to get to actually download your products and oh, start good. using that because I think this is a tool that all of us can use. It's affordable. It's something that really can help us all long term look down the road and say, oh, my God, like that one simple thing literally changed the way I my dynamic with money and how I sure. it's empowering. Really, it's so is. much easier to be out I'll of sight, you, out of I'll mind. I'll send you guys some. No, thank you. But I'll we're happy to, to support. We just love this. I mean, no, I'm looking at the 2023 planner like I want. Yeah. yeah tell us more about it, because I mean, yeah. I'm looking out on the website, but I want people yeah. to know how cool this is, because for me, I love an out of sight, out of mind approach where Same. I'm just like <laughs> the yeah. blind swipe. Woof, it went through. You're like, I don't want to fucking know. I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm like, sometimes I'll be just like, trustful I'll, into that Because I am in the sense where I do have a lot of things automatically go into savings before. So they yeah. like, I know the saving, but yeah. So I'm like, I'm good in that where I know that before it ever makes it to my checking account, it's already been sure. siloed off to savings which in a few places, mm-hmm. which is helpful. But then after that, I'm like, it's all for the game. funsies. It's all free game. <laughs> I could invest more, but I like live off of from there. I'm paycheck to paycheck because I yeah. I say that as oh, after yeah. savings. And but six, yes. and we both make very good money. I would like to say that. Like, <laughs> but I don't like to look. I get paid next Friday and I'm like, I don't want to look right now and see where I'm at. I think I, so many of us are I, in that I, position. I do not want to check my checking account balance right now. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not the worst thing because, again, like I said, right out of the gate. Things already automatically went to two different savings accounts. Data. So I'm not like a total trash can, but I'm a trash can enough where I don't want to check my checking account balance right now because I'm just like, yeah. I don't need that negativity in my life. <laughs> but I, love I need like, to not be that way in yeah. 2023. So yes. looking at this wealth planner is love very yeah. like, all right, let's come to know, terms. And even good. like your course, I want you to tell us about the yeah. budgeting course too. Cause I oh, yeah. saw, I read even the one thing where it's okay, let's do a little therapy here at the beginning and the first part of the course and I'm like yeah I should do a little of that I love the Chris Jenner meme where it's like where you thought you had three dollars and you're yes. thinking but you have 21 and she's which yes. is rich. So, so rich yes. yes so rich okay so I guess I think I guess I want to say first the fact that you already have automation set up like that's great because you're already to your point I have to it's actually kind of a, I don't trust yeah, myself it's okay to live paycheck to paycheck of your post savings yes. money, it's that the that's what the fuck it's for is to spend. If I don't, so like, I will spend it. If I can't see it, yeah. it's, it has to be gone. If I get that's it in my hands, yeah. and see, like, I, but I know myself. I know how irresponsible I am. So that's, that's why the self awareness that you need, though. Yeah. You need to have that self awareness because some people are natural savers. Like some people just have a predisposition to like to save. Most of us don't, though. Like it's and the, here's the thing: the reason you don't think that way is not because there, you are a flawed person. It's because we did not evolve to delay gratification. Like back in the cave, if a woolly mammoth was charging towards you, like you weren't like, you know what? Let me save this little meat pie for later because I might need it tomorrow. It's like, you might not be here tomorrow. (laughs) You better get your bag now. That is, that's still the hardware that you're working with. So you have to, you have to trick the hardware. Mm -hmm. You have to hack the amygdala. And what you're describing of, I'm going to automate it so that I don't even see it. 
for most people, that is the optimal approach because it means that there is no longer any decisions, any forgetfulness, any willpower that is being tested on a monthly basis when that money is coming in. It is automated and out of sight, out of mind. The thing that I think is important about the Wealth Planner, though, is that it is very motivating to watch your net worth go up. And I think people that I would like may that. not <laughs> totally. necessarily be used to that right now would be so it's worth a shot. It's not for everybody. I'm not going to say every single person, but I would say 95% of people, when they start tracking and they're beginning to invest, they're beginning to save, they're beginning to pay down debt more aggressively. When you go in every month and that number is higher, it's, oh, hell yeah. Like, yeah, it's it is the gratification. It's, it's like the, the Nene Leaks. I am a rich bitch. <laughs> I am a very yes. rich <laughs> bitch. <laughs> it's like you think about the decision to buy something or the decision to do something. If the decision is only ever, all right, I'm going to spend the money and I'm going to have this thing or I'm going to do this thing or I'm going to not spend the money and nothing. It's who in their right mind is ever yeah. going to choose to not spend the money. But I've heard this from many people now, and it's definitely reflective of my own experience where they've been like, I now kind of get the same dopamine hit from making the investment contribution and like putting it in the planner and watching myself get richer that I used to get from like online shopping. Yeah, it's like the software is yeah. there. You just have to reprogram the software to like different things. And that's Less why I like, lemon, like the more rich assets. bitch. We need rich bitch yeah. energy. Lululemon yes. stock. No, but I think it, it's true. So I think give it a shot. I'll send you guys some. And anyone listening okay. that's interested, they'll put a link in the show notes, I'm sure. But I do think that getting intimate, I love that you spoke to that, Tori. Like getting intimate with your own money is such an empowering thing. And yeah. it's almost like working out, like with the first it's time. It's like looking at yourself it naked in the mirror. Yeah. You're like, yes. oh, sure. I don't, I might not like this at first, but like it's yeah. going to become yeah. habitual. And then you're going to reach the point one day where you're like, how did they ever live not doing this? Like now yeah. this is just like a part of my routine, a part of my day, a part of my life. And like, I think we really underestimate how good it's going to feel when we have it on lock and it takes yeah. time. But it's a journey and it's a process. And again, to speak to the self-efficacy I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode, like I think people are, especially women, are routinely surprised by like how empowering it feels and how much yeah. innate confidence it gives them to know that they are on top of this and that they don't need anybody mm -hmm. else. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. There's no other. There's no greater feeling than that. It's freedom. It's freedom. No. Like it's truly it it's is. freedom. Amen. Yeah. And nothing feels more suffocating and drowning and no hope than financial problems or yeah. being oh my not resources. Yeah. No. What so in terms of your Yeah, I want to go through a couple of, Okay, so you have your let's go through the products and the courses that you have. Yeah, sure. budget like a millionaire um, Yeah, for budget sure. like a millionaire. We need that too. Yes. <laughs> we that is a that is our only course right now. We're kind of in okay. development on a second one, but we're trying to do more consumer research to see like what people really want. What do they want to yeah. learn about in more depth? But Budget Like a Millionaire was something that I made because when I first started writing for Money with Katie, one way that I made a little bit of extra income was by doing one-on-one -on -one personal finance consulting sessions where we would sit down and we were basically digging into someone's financial life and being like, all right, where are the trouble spots? What questions do you have? Where are you overspending? Where could you spend more? Like, how can we just kind of give you a little financial tune up and make sure that you're on the right track? And what I noticed was after doing like hundreds of these calls and sessions with people was that the spending plan 
problems that people were running into, it was almost the same thing every time. There was such a pattern that emerged across these conversations that I was like, huh, okay, I feel like I'm saying the same thing or I feel like I'm like noticing the same thing. How can I codify this Mm -hmm. into something that like anyone could sit down and do and go through this process that I'm going through with somebody, but at their own pace, at a much lower cost to them because they're not now paying like by the hour. And so that when they're walking away, they're like, all right, I like have a go forward plan. Like I have a tangible budget in my hand that I know is going to work that like accounts for how my life is. And the one thing that I felt was kind of missing from the space and from kind of the budgeting ethos or resources that were out there was that it felt like it really glossed over the personal aspect of it, where everyone has a different relationship with money and everyone gets something different out of money. So I have a, the whole first module is basically let's dig into your psychology around money. What actually brings you joy to spend on? Let's unpack that. Okay. Now let's figure out where you're wasting money and where you should probably rein it in a little bit. Like, where's the tough love necessary? And then once we did that, and what's stressing you out? Do you have 12 bachelorette parties this year that you have to budget for? Mm -hmm. All right, we know they're coming. Let's plan for them. Like, we can bake that in. So that was the thought process there. But it's this four, there's four modules. Each one has, I think, three or four lessons within each one. It's video content, written content, and then there's like a workbook and then you get the wealth planner at the end and it kind of teaches you how to fill it out. But it's a good starting point if someone's okay, I just know I have a spending problem and I need to spend a little bit of time with that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of us. Yeah, me. me. I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) Literally, that is. So the wealth planner is included in the course. Okay, Okay, Okay. cool. Because I was like looking at both. So if you don't need that, if you're like, hey, I'm I actually don't think I have a spending issue or maybe I could afford to cut back a little bit, but I don't need to do a deep dive. You can go right for the wealth planner and just fill that shit mm-hmm. out. And it comes with a 30 minute tutorial. So you're not left alone with this spreadsheet mm. where you're like, yeah. and so it'll ask you to go through and fill out accounts. And there's like a big dashboard in the beginning. And then each month has its own dashboards. So you can see everything for that month in one view. Yeah. But it is included in budget like a millionaire. If you're like, mm, I kind of want to go. Uh, I also want to leave this as a huge I want to talk about your podcast because your podcast is phenomenal yes. i've subscribed been now. I, money with katie <laughs> you like guys. i need to hear this on the regular to keep me like accountable i'm telling <laughs> you you're you're i just the topics you cover first of all are phenomenal but how did this start yeah i don't know why i wanted to start a podcast <laughs> i started it in october of 2021 and i think it was just because i sounds so stupid i really like talking <laughs> everyone who's listening is yeah girl Same. we know <laughs> But I like talking. I feel like I can express myself well. But like ultimately at my core, I love writing and I love storytelling. So I knew I didn't want to necessarily have a fully interview conversational show. I was like, I want to have to write these scripts and then almost like perform them, put them on for the part and bring in guests or bring in Mm -hmm. audio and have that more like rich experience as opposed to reading a blog post. But I did want it to be primarily like a very well thought out comprehensive topic that I've like written and then right. perform quote unquote. So that's kind of how it started. And we went started going pretty hard on it in 2022, like I would say Q2, because we noticed a lot of traction. And I think that it's just a medium that like I personally love and like I listen to podcasts every single day. Yeah, same. So I was like, why aren't we spending more time mm-hmm. with this? Like right. we should be investing more in this. And I think it's a really fun medium for learning new things and it's more intimate like 
you hearing someone's voice is so different than reading something that somebody wrote. So I just think it's an amazing, as I'm sure you would agree. Yes. <laughs> I think it's a well, podcasters. I, I know agree. the topics are really good topics on here, amazing. though. The amount of things you go through. And I have learned a lot through that alone. But I just think that all of your courses, everything collectively is just, I love how simple you make it. <laughs> We're going to do better I really this appreciate year. That. Yeah. It was our New Year's like. And goal. I mean, for anyone that is like, I want to get my feet wet, like we also have free resources as well. So on the site, there is a tab that says free resources where there's four 101 series. There's personal finance 101. If you're like brand spanking new, I don't know anything mm. that this girl just said, but I want to know. There's investing 101. There's travel rewards 101. So like free travel with credit card points. And there's early retirement 101. So it's like if you are listening to this and you're like, I got all this on lock, but like how do I supercharge? Because I'm trying to skeet out of that doctor's office at 39. Right. Like that's right. for you. So there are free resources as well if you want to get your feet wet. Mm, okay. We love that. I already signed up for all four of them. I like, <laughs> love this for um, you. So if you could leave the one best piece of advice, say yeah. people only tuned into one minute of the show and they got to hear one takeaway with Katie, what yeah. would that be? I think the thing that I want young women to know is that they deserve financial security. And I promise you, I don't care who you are, if you're listening to this right now, you are smart and competent enough to do it. Like, you have done much harder things. You have survived much tougher tests than this. This is, it is more intimidating from the outside looking in than it is once you walk in the door and go inside and go, oh, this isn't actually that hard. I spent two weeks trying to learn this shit and now I'm good and I don't have to think about it again. So I think it, it's, yeah, it's that message of deservingness and capability. Because I, I just have to think that general intimidation and a not knowing where to start is what keeps so many women from taking that step and going deeper and mm -hmm. yeah what year was it that women were even allowed to open up their own checking accounts wasn't that not till the 1970s 72 72 oh, there you go jesus yeah. christ that's that's the 70s crazy. that's absurd wow. yeah yeah my mom Our is, moms lived were in a already time where they a didn't born where yeah yeah, that's yeah. crazy. That's yeah. Absurd. Have you seen that tweet? That's what, why is the family, why, like, why is the divorce rate higher now than it was in the 60s? Or the, and it's because women can have checking accounts now. Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't need you anymore. Because we don't leave. If yeah. you're you not actually have to bring up, something to the table mm -hmm. other than money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. You actually have to come with a personality and yeah. a good, a genuine, yeah. yeah. You got to contribute, yeah. baby. Yeah. Be a partner. Yes. What a thought. What a thought. Yeah, Be a partner. We love that. Mm -hmm. that. Not everyone can marry a Jacob. I know. We love a Jacob, her husband. He's, he's we, love Jacob. we love Jacob. I don't know Jacob, but we, we, we love do. Jacob. We, we love a Jacob. A Jacob. <laughs> Katie, I cannot thank you enough for today. This is oh. absolutely amazing. We're going to link Likewise. all of I feel like we need to have her back at the end of the year and yes. tell her, like, or check in and be like, okay, so this is what we did. Oh, I hope you're proud of idea. us. We're so much better. We're better humans because yeah. of this episode in January. And I'm sure we're going to get even more questions. I mean, I in finance is just something that I think it's a very personal thing, but it's also something that I think we all just want to be able to talk mm -hmm. about, but we're nervous too. Oh, so sure. I think we should, I mean, we'll circle back. Yeah. We're definitely going to do another episode with you down I the road it. because this was phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you very much. I would be so happy to join. Thank you so Thank much. You. This was truly a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I needed that about two <laughs> 
15 years ago, but better late than never, you guys. Better late than never. We absolutely love this. Okay, so fast forward, I also want to tell you guys, so we have started using the Excel spreadsheets um, over on her website. We've started this process. Okay, when Tori said get intimate with money, you guys, let me just say it is humbling. It'll make you a little nauseous. It's going to hurt your feelings. You're going to, but it's good. You need to do it's it. It's really good. Do it. Absolutely. And I feel like this is the year we're getting organized. We are getting proactive. We are empowering ourselves. So definitely we have linked all of those apps. We've linked um, Betterment in the in the show notes for you guys. So all of those there for you, they're easily accessible. We cannot recommend this enough. So yes. I will shout out her podcast because I have been binging it on my drives a little bit. And the two episodes I really liked were one is self-care culture is making us broke mm. and I'm a big treat yourself on Botox hair nails all the things yes, and I'm please. like all right and then the other one that I really was mind-blowing was nice stuff is making your life worse reflections on materialism honestly go listen to those two podcast episodes because they um, are kind of like a good yeah kind of look in the, the butt. mirror <laughs> kick in the butt of but it is it's like okay what and the funny thing she talks about on that when she bought her first like car on her own was an Acura RDX Oh what car it. do I drive? And after RDX. <laughs> Are you not twinning? I was like, um, I feel very attacked right now, but it's a good episode because it kind of realizes like you buy the one nice thing and it leads to the net and then you yeah. get caught if you up. You buy a, a, a mouse a cookie or yeah. if you get if you a, give a mouse a cookie. cookie. <laughs> it kind of is a good example of that. So yeah. honestly, her podcast is good stuff. Okay, and yeah, yeah we fan. absolutely love it. I have been binging it nonstop. You guys absolutely check her out. We're, we're so thrilled to have had her on. And thank you so much, you guys, for being here with us. As always, make sure you head over to our IG. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. We have everything linked there in the bio for you. I think there's a couple weeks left to book your last Bali spots. So yes. if you were on the fence, there are barely any left and time is running out. And we're doing another happy hour with all of our girlies uh, in a week or two. So get ready. We're so excited. We're sending out emails about that. And thank you so much for guys for listening. Make sure you rate and review. Yes. Five spar five spars. <laughs> five stars on Spotify. And if you go to I Apple Podcasts, drop your IG handle on your review and we'll send you out free stuff. Absolutely. Hi. You guys, free is the word of the day today. Free stuff. We love so free. Love that for you. Absolutely love that for you. Make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And we'll see you next. Oh, bonus Friday. Bonus Friday. Fun see stuff. you on Friday. Bye. Bye. Bye.